Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. Before you go anywhere, I wanted to let you know about a new quiz I have available. If you have PCOS, you're going to want to listen to this. I've created a quiz to help you work out what type of PCOS you have. You see, the mistake many women are making with their PCOS is what I like to call the throw spaghetti at the wall strategy, which basically means you're doing all the things and getting none of the results. So I've created this quiz to help you unpack what's driving your PCOS so that you can get the right test done and then implement not all, but just the strategies that are actually going to make a difference for you. To take the quiz, all you need to do is head to www.selendouglas.com dot com forward slash PCOS hyphen quiz, or you can also find the link in the show notes. If you've been diagnosed with PCOS, or if you're struggling with some of the symptoms of PCOS, but haven't quite arrived at a diagnosis. So say you have the irregular menstrual cycles, perhaps the weight loss resistance, the acne, or maybe even the excess hair growth, then this episode today is for you. I really understand firsthand the challenges of dealing with cycle irregularities and the frustration of being met with treatment strategies that just don't align with your beliefs. I myself was once told to just go back on the pill until I was ready for a baby after experiencing no period for two years. And this was really my catalyst event, if you want to call it that, that really set me on a new trajectory in life um, towards helping women with similar experiences, as cliche as that is. And in today's episode, I am being interviewed by the lovely Ellie McLean, and we are talking all about PCOS, why it's crucial to use the correct definition um, when exploring your diagnosis. And we also discuss the necessary tests to get in order to arrive at an accurate diagnosis um, and even how to arrange this type of testing as well. So if you have PCOS, you know, if you have the symptoms but aren't quite sure that you have it, then this is absolutely going to be something that you want to pop in your ears and have a listen to. We're also going to touch on the various drivers of PCOS and discuss traditional models of care and complementary health approaches as well. Sometimes these are referred to as alternative, and I'm not sure that I'm a fan of that terminology because is taking or is changing your diet, changing your lifestyle really that alternate? I'm not sure, but that's what we're calling it at the moment. So complementary alternative health approaches, whatever you want to call it, essentially just things that can help you, which are outside the traditional models of care. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Hi, Celine. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. It's um, it's good to have you here because we are going to talk about PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome today, which is a topic that comes up in practice all of the time. And I'm sure well, in my clinic it does, and I know in your clinic it does, probably more so, but it's so confusing. Um, 
you know, these people feel like they've got like this lifelong sort of diagnosis and it leads them to be worried about their fertility or am I going to be overweight just because I've got PCOS? What does this mean? So I thought this would be a really good topic to get you on to talk about just to, um, I guess, debunk and create some clarification around what it is, what it means, how to test for it, how to even think about treating it and the long-term ramifications. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, um, just a few things to cover off. So <laughs> so talk to me a little bit. You do, you work um, not entirely, but many of your clients would come mm-hmm. to you specifically for treating and managing PCOS. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a bit of experience in the area. Um, when people come to see you, where are they usually at? Have they mm. had a diagnosis from a doctor or, a, you know, a gynecologist mm. or are they usually coming because they have questions around their menstrual cycle? Yeah, I'd say a bit of both. Like um, sometimes we'll get the more recently diagnosed. And when I say that, that would be, I would say the last six months and they've basically been handed a diagnosis and we'll get into this today, but often that comes along with very little explanation about what it actually even is, um, you know, how this translates to their symptoms and what they can do about it often. And we'll go into, you know, the conventional um, sort of treatment pathway, but that would often come with maybe a recommendation for metformin or the oral contraceptive. And if a client, um, you know, isn't wanting either of those options or maybe they have even chosen something like metformin as the best option for them, but they're wanting to look at what else they can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective, that's really when they look at coming to see us. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I would have uh, clients that might have symptoms of PCOS but haven't yet received a diagnosis um, and they might be coming to work with me because they've got those irregular cycles um, or they've got the weight gain um, and it might be me that uh, you know, I, of course, we don't diagnose any conditions, but that's where I would maybe refer out to a GP when we're organizing blood testing anyway and, and saying, um, you know, we've got this collection of symptoms, but it's ultimately the GP's role and job um, to provide a diagnosis if that's yeah. relevant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What actually is it? Because if people aren't getting a good explanation from their doctor when they're being diagnosed, mm-hmm. uh, then that's probably why people are so confused by exactly um, mm. what it is and, and what it means. So can we go back a step and just like for clarification's sake? Go through that. Yeah. yeah what, what on earth is it? Yep. Um, okay. So I think... A lot of the confusion comes from the name um, being polycystic ovarian syndrome. So immediately we think it's a condition that is characterised by cysts on the ovaries. And the interesting thing is even when you go through um, the diagnostic criteria uh, and the guidelines on the RAC GP, even there it says, you know, 
an ultrasound cannot actually be used to diagnose this condition. So immediately that kind of debunks that. But Mm. basically I think as far as what we have available at the moment in terms of research, and I think that this is really going to change over the next few years um, as this condition becomes so much more prevalent. Hopefully we're going to have more research and more information about it. But at the moment it really leads towards thinking that it is this combination of genetic and environmental factors um, basically causing androgen excess. So androgens being those hormones like testosterone, DHEAS and androstenedione, and they lead to symptoms such as um, the weight gain, the well, insulin resistance often actually triggers the um, the androgen excess um, and we see the hair growth, problems with ovulation, the irregular cycles, the fatigue, all of those symptoms that go along with it. Um, and so, as I said, it's really characterized by that androgen excess And I think that's really more its defining feature Mm. than this polycystic ovary. So Mm. it does need, you know, a rebrand and probably a a (laughs) renaming. Um, And we'll go through, I guess, you know, the different different pathways depending on whether you are more that insulin-resistant person or we'll talk about those different... um, those different hormones as well, those different, you know, drivers of your PCOS. But I think a better name, you know, something that's thrown around at the moment is like um, metabolic hormonal, what's the name? You probably know metabolic hormonal disorder or something like that. But I think it could be something more like um, metabolic androgen excess or something like that would be a more um, correct name for it. Um, Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess I love Lara Bryden, and it's probably not even her term, but it is a condition of androgen excess when all mm. the causes for androgen excess have been ruled out. Ruled out. Yeah. yeah. And um, just totally getting rid of this, this theme of polycystic ovaries. Mm. Um, I had a client yesterday who was told she had PCOS in the six months after coming off the pill, breaking up with a partner that she was with for seven years and in the middle of COVID. And, you know, she's like, well, I had ultrasound that says I had the polycystic ovaries and then my doctor told me I had PCOS. So does that mean I still have like cysts on my ovaries sitting there? Do I need to go and get another ultrasound? No, it's just like, look, your bloods don't suggest that you have androgen excess and your cycle is beautifully regular now. So you can take that bandage off, that label off. Um, Mm. Do you find that you're doing that with your clients quite often as well, like almost trying to teach them what it is so then Mm. you can teach them whether or not they actually have the condition? Yeah, yeah. I had a client actually just this week, really interesting, where – And I guess this is where the genetic factor, you know, comes into play. She did have insulin resistance. Her sister had been diagnosed with PCOS. So the doctor had said to her, you've got PCOS. But I've been working with her for a little while on, you know, the insulin resistance and a few other things. And she doesn't have the excess androgens. She has no symptoms of androgen excess. She has a regular cycle. Mm. We've done... We've looked at progesterone levels and things like that. We know she ovulates. 
So yes, she has insulin resistance, but she actually doesn't have any of the features of androgen excess, nor does she have any androgens that are measurable on a blood test. So, you know, I obviously am not the person to diagnose, but we did have that conversation around me. It doesn't actually look as though you fit the criteria um, and perhaps it would be worth seeking a second opinion on that diagnosis. Because the thing is, you know, if someone isn't, you know, working with a health practitioner and getting a different view on it and they've received that diagnosis, they're then carrying that around with them potentially for the rest of their life. And that means often constantly thinking, is this good for my PCOS? Am I able to eat this food? Am I not? Questioning things. Thinking you're high risk of gestational diabetes or complications. The list goes on as to how that label affects someone. Mm, For sure. That scenario is scary. I mean, that's like insulin resistance. And I'd love you to go into this. Of course, insulin resistance can feed into PCOS, but isn't Mm. in itself a standalone, I guess, condition or something that needs to be managed. And if there's no regular cycle or signs of androgen excess, well, then doesn't even meet the Rotterdam criteria for PCOS. No. No. Yes, that's probably a particularly concerning one. But, yeah, we can have insulin resistance and not have PCOS, and I guess that's where that genetic variability would um, come into the equation where if you have that genetic susceptibility for PCOS and then you develop insulin resistance, you're more likely to end up expressing those PCOS genetics and therefore having that androgen excess yeah so um in terms of the like the drivers for the androgen excess as you alluded to Mm. insulin resistance can absolutely be the driver and from my understanding it's the Mm. the the driver in majority of cases of pcos um Mm -hmm. what are some of the other potential causes of or contributors to androgen excess Mm-hmm. The other one um, that I would see quite commonly, and that this can be either instead of the high insulin or as well as, would be more that adrenal picture. So if someone typically has really high levels of DHEAS or really high levels of cortisol, which we may or may not measure depending on what testing we are doing for that person, um, then that's typically more a stress and nervous system problem than it is a blood sugar problem. And why this is really important is because if someone has been diagnosed with PCOS, more than likely they're going to be offered metformin as a, you know, a medical or conventional treatment option. But if they actually don't have insulin resistance, then that is not an appropriate strategy. And of course, We use so much outside of metformin, that's not going to be our recommendation. But um, it is, I think, a really important thing to mention because I don't know what your experience is, but from conversations I have, a lot of the time, especially if I guess they do perhaps have the air quotes like body type for PCOS, whatever that means, they're just labeled as having insulin resistance. And often no one's even testing their fasting insulin. Like I have experienced that so many times where someone's been prescribed metformin and no one has actually tested their insulin. It's just an assumption that has been made. 
And that can be such a problem because, you know, in when I had you on my podcast, we obviously talked about all the different reasons why someone um, could be gaining weight and could have those barriers to fat loss. And for example, like low thyroid function, we know around 25% of women with PCOS have underactive thyroid. And I have seen that before where, you know, that is being missed because it's just being passed off as your insulin resistant because you've got PCOS, here's metformin, see you later. And that's just a big jump to make. It's a massive jump. And I, I actually can't comprehend it. You know, the insulin test, if we were to pay for it out of pocket, would be like 49 Aussie dollars or something along the lines of. So I don't understand the hesitation in a prescribed, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, a um, like a doctor who's diagnosing in actually just going away and spending one week or 10 days trying to get a test to confirm suspicions to then like make a really sound call around bringing a pharmaceutical into place or bringing a diagnosis and treatment strategy into place. Um, Yeah, I think it should be mandatory for that to be tested (laughs) if a script is going to be handed out. Absolutely, like just ethically, um, especially then Mm. if we consider there's always an upside and a downside to a pharma, Um, you know, there are side effects that, you know, can happen with the introduction of metformin. So if you don't even know that it's the appropriate tool for the job and you're willing to risk the side effects of the medication, I don't understand how that even, how that's possible. <laughs> if it was, if, if the shoe was on the other foot and yeah, how it's we allowed. were being scrutinised for, you know, prescribing a supplement incorrectly, say, then, we, you know, nutritionists would be, you know, blacklisted. <laughs> I mean, it's like someone coming to us and saying, I'm tired and us going, it must be your iron. Here's an iron supplement. See you later. Like it's essentially the same thing. That's just such a huge jump. I mean, maybe not quite the same sort of extreme, but it is, it's still a big assumption. It's like someone coming in with, you know, a family history of thyroid issues and some of the symptoms of low thyroid function and giving them thyroxine, like that wouldn't happen. Yeah. I think also maybe what it, maybe what it, indicates is that not not for all practitioners certainly not but Mm. maybe there is a lack of understanding around Mm. what PCOS is and what all the possible drivers are in the sense that you know perhaps it's assumed that PCOS means there is insulin resistance Mm. and I think there is no other possible drivers whereas you've just highlighted that it's not just insulin that can cause that androgen excess no. And I guess like the other thing that would confirm that is if you've ever had a client that you suspect might have PCOS that is quite lean and doesn't have that characteristic, you know, insulin resistant body type, the doctor almost, I've had an experience where they've almost been laughed at for even going in and questioning whether that could be a possibility mm-hmm. because like you just don't have the body type. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. I think does highlight that there is an assumption, probably not for everyone, but for a lot that insulin resistance is that only cause. Mm. Um, And you can certainly, I think, fall into both camps as well. Like you can have more of that adrenal and insulin resistance going on at the same time. And that's why testing is such an important part of kind of uncovering what the right approach for someone with PCOS is. 
Definitely. Not only for safety, but for efficacy and actually getting the outcome mm. and, and the cycle back online if the cycle's gone. Yeah. Um, are there any other possible drivers to be aware of? Yeah, well, the other thing that's talked about a lot is, you know, like post-pill PCOS and this sort of rebound effect that can happen with our androgens after ceasing the pill. So I think, you know, really lots changes when you go on and off the pill. So if you are within that sort of three to six month window of having ceased it, I wouldn't necessarily go, I've got irregular periods, I must be PCOS. I would, you know, give it some time and hopefully approach it from, a, a holistic um, lens and maybe look at getting some nutrient tests done and optimizing those nutrients, which we know can be depleted after stopping the pill and looking at all those diet and lifestyle factors that we want for kind of overall foundational hormonal health anyway. And then after that period of time, um, if those symptoms were continuing, that's when you would look at doing some, some more testing mm-hmm. um, to help with that. Um, the other thing, that gets thrown around sometimes is this like inflammatory PCOS. Um, And I think that one can be a little bit, um, I guess, more difficult to, I guess, like tangibly label, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, because inflammation is obviously just such a big, broad umbrella term. Um, And I think, again, that's where it would come back to testing and making sure like, okay, if those androgens are elevated, are we sure it's not actually something else causing it? Um, And the other factor there, I guess, is if we're thinking about inflammation, well, insulin resistance is really metabolic inflammation. So someone that's insulin resistant does does actually fit under that inflammatory um, umbrella. And I guess you would then be thinking about, you know, how their gut's working and, and any of those other things that you could see. But to me, I typically see that I can um, sort of segment people into more insulin-driven or adrenal-driven. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of um, PCOS can come in conjunction with low thyroid function. I'd see that like quite commonly. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the literature goes, it's estimated 25% of women with PCOS have underactive thyroid. But what we know, and I'm sure you've talked about this on the show before, Ellie, is, you know, getting a getting proper thyroid testing can be quite difficult in Australia. And so that 25% might be an underrepresentation yeah, of yeah. what's actually happening. And I think what we know as well about, you know, insulin resistance um, by nature um, can quite easily lead to underactive thyroid as well. So if we can, if we know that, around 70 to 80% of PCOS is going to be caused by insulin resistance. Well, it's a bit of a no-brainer that we're going to have a large proportion of those people also having underactive thyroid as well. That needs to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. I I think what you're really highlighting is that getting the diagnosis of PCOS is just one piece and um, that's why it almost doesn't matter that we we as nutritionists can't even make mm. that diagnosis because it, it's it's almost a useless label. Like mm. you have a syndrome. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, you have this syndrome and, you know, our minds go to what is causing it because if you're not ovulating yeah. or if you're struggling to lose weight and you're not ovulating, um, 
or if you've got acne and you want to get rid of it, well, what is causing that so we can put Mm. an appropriate solution into place? And that's why it's important to know what is driving this, you know, this, this label that gets given of PCOS. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, I never want it to come across like it's like us versus them with the conventional model because it really shouldn't be like that. Like no. in my ideal world, it would be a much more collaborative approach. But I do think that there's a tendency towards like, you know, you have IBS, you have PCOS full stop. That's that's it. Like that's kind of where we stop and then we go into, you know, medical treatment options. But in our minds, we're always going, okay, cool, PCOS, but why? Like yeah. why? We need more information than that. Whereas that's like the end of the road, I think, it, with some more conventional practitioners. And I think it's really disappointing that there would be women out there that take that advice and then walk around with this diagnosis for the rest of their lives, not really knowing that there's so much they can do from a diet, lifestyle, nutraceutical point of view to actually improve their symptoms mm. and quality of life. Yeah, definitely. Um, in a perfect world, if, if mm-hmm. someone came to you, cause I'm just thinking of someone listening, who's like, okay, I, you know, I don't have a regular cycle. I don't know whether I ovulate, um, you know, I've got issues with my skin. I'm not happy with it. What would be the ideal suite of testing <laughs> that would go mm. and like that you would go and get question. that person to do? Yep. Yep. I, um, I have a resource up. Maybe I'll send it to you that you can pop it in the show notes, but, um, there would be a few. So, um, I would obviously love to see a fasting insulin test in an ideal world. If it was possible, I would love to see a complete thyroid panel as well. So TSH, T4, T3, and then your two main thyroid antibodies. There are a few things, you know, missing from there. I'm usually not too obsessed with seeing like a reverse T3 or your um or um you know your your Graves antibodies just because from a symptom picture point of view, not everyone would that wouldn't be relevant for everyone. Mm. Um and then from um a androgen point of view i would love to see your dheas levels your free testosterone total testosterone um ideally androstenedione because i mean if that is the one androgen that's elevated it could be missed so ideally it would be great to see that as well if someone does have a menstrual cycle albeit irregular i would still really love to try and capture a day two or day three test that um, where we include those androgens, but we also include prolactin, um, sex hormone binding globulin and estradiol as well. Because um, again, going back to, you know, not all PCOS cases are the same. There is quite a lot of differentiation. Some women with PCOS have quite normal estrogen levels some might have lower estrogen levels some might have quite high estrogen levels and that's also quite important in understanding what we need to do and what treatment strategies are going to work most appropriately for that them and and you know sometimes symptoms um 
don't paint an accurate picture. Like I think often we get a good idea, but sometimes we get surprising things come back on test results. So I think that's why it's important. Um, And I would be happy with that as a starting point. I think, you know, ideally, depending on what someone's goals are, after a while of working with them, I would probably try and capture like a mid-luteal estrogen and progesterone as well to check how that corpus luteum is functioning and check where their progesterone levels are at. But I tend not to necessarily start there because if their cycles are regular to begin with, it's going to be super hard to capture that um, and probably a bit of a headache for them to start doing any kind of, you know, yeah. um, like temperature tracking from the get-go or anything like that. So I, unless someone has, you know, more immediate um, fertility goals, that's not something I look at straight away. Yeah. No, that's really helpful um, just to get an idea of that testing because what I'm imagining is for people listening, they're like, oh, my gosh, I got a diagnosis. And FSH and, and LH, sorry. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Those two would be very helpful. Um, but I'm imagining people that be would just be thinking, my gosh, I didn't do any of that testing. No. I did an ultrasound and then we talked about what my cycle was doing and yeah. whether I had acne or not and, and then I was told that I had PCOS. Yeah. So um, I think just giving that insight as to what mm. testing could and should be done to really help determine is it PCOS and if so what's driving it mm. will really just help people to um, yeah. I guess get into the driver's seat and definitely manage definitely. their condition a little better. And I think you know it can be difficult to obtain blood testing for ver- a variety of reasons mm. you know part of it's the Medicare system part of it might be um, a little bit of lack of understanding as to why that testing that we would be requesting is relevant. But there are options, you know, of course, through companies like iScreen and they actually do have a, there's a progesterone test in there included, which I think should just be, you know, cancelled out of that testing pack. But iScreen do have quite a good PCOS specific testing pack that includes most of what I listed off there. And it's about $170, which is quite good and hopefully um, you know, affordable for most people. Well, especially if it helps with the headache of like, what's going on? What's wrong with me? What do I need to do type question? Am I fertile? Am I infertile? All of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I tend to do a lot of that testing as well, because Mm -hmm. what I'm presented with a lot is people who to me just don't fit the bill of PCOS, but have been told they have it and look more like a hypothalamic amenorrhea case. And um, you really need to make sure you're confident with what's going on for somebody before you consider, I guess, not changing their diagnosis, but just getting them to shift their focus over to somewhere else, which is quite different to where yeah. the focus may have been if you know they've been diagnosed with a PCOS from a from a general practitioner. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I had a great example of that. Um, not too long ago, definitely a hypothalamic amenorrhea case. I mean, to me, I'm like, I think you can spot it from a mile away often with, you know, if especially if they've been down more of a kind of like extreme fitness journey and that kind of thing. It's usually quite obvious. Um, but this client fit the Rotterdam criteria and had been prescribed metformin, didn't take it, of course, because, and she asked me about it. And I said, well, let's go back and have a look at where your insulin was. And it was three, which, oh. you know, it's just, to me, I'm like, well, you know, it's, 
like you never want to say it but like it's that's malpractice to be doing that I think you know like we need to be careful around that and I think going back to what we were saying earlier how Lara Bryden talks about um, androgen excess when all other causes have been ruled out well again even if we can fit someone into the Rotterdam criteria I think that we should still be thinking well like what else could it be Mm, you know like what yes they fit into it but is there anything else and that's you know should really be that whole differential diagnosis process when you're kind of going well what are all our potential options here and which one's most likely um i think that and again a system error because gps a lot of the time have these really short appointment times and they probably don't have that you know we have an hour with our initial consults to really go through someone's information really really thoroughly and and gps don't have that time and so you can totally see how these errors are happening um, but can be so damaging, right, because if someone wasn't then seeking out, you know, a nutritionist, naturopath, what have you, that's going to go, well, actually your insulin's three, so it's completely inappropriate for you, then they're they're going to make their HA worse Worse. by taking something like metformin. Yeah. I also worry that... Let's take away um, HA, but let's look at maybe again at that scenario whereby someone has PCOS, they meet that androgen excess mm. criteria and they're being treated with metformin incorrectly. Well, then you run the risk that their PCOS, PCOS is not managed and they're not going mm. to get their cycle online. Um, or maybe someone's been told they have PCOS, but it's really been played down and it, it, therefore they haven't sort of taken it upon themselves to treat. Are there... Like, are there long-term risks or ramifications for not um, managing it, not treating it? Yeah, definitely. I think the problem, I guess, as well with, like, using metformin, even if it is an appropriate prescription, is that, you know, insulin resistance is treatable and caused by dietary changes, right? And so... We're completely ignoring that for starters. And so in some instances, if someone has insulin resistance, this is causing their androgen excess, their handed metformin, and then they go away and don't make any changes to their nutrition and their lifestyle and that kind of thing. I've seen many instances where they still have really high insulin, even if they're on metformin and even if that dose has been increased over time. So for some, it might work really well. For others, it might not. And I do still think that these people are at risk of still of type 2 diabetes. They're at risk of things like non-alcoholic fatty liver um, and metabolic syndrome, of course, that's all wrapped up in that bundle. Uh, and the other thing that I've also seen quite often is those clients that do have fertility goals, they're not I guess the, the the impacts of improving their insulin for their PCOS, but also their fertility is just not discussed at all. And I have had clients that have come to see me once they're at that point of going down the IVF route and no one's told them that fixing their insulin resistance is actually going to improve their egg quality. So they've been through egg collection multiple times and gotten pretty average disappointing results and then six to nine months down the track when we've had a really really good 
um, amount of time to actually correct their insulin resistance, their egg collection and quality has increased, um, you know, astronomically. Like I'm had huge, huge changes just from doing that. Um, and I think that is, you know, just so disappointing for a number of reasons. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think, you know, going back to just putting someone on metformin and not considering, um, a, whether it works, but then also the other lifestyle conditions or other, sorry, medical conditions that come about as a result of lifestyle choices that are just never going to be rectified if someone is given yeah. metformin and it does happen to work. It's never going to motivate yeah. that person to start a training regime or start eating more fibre or actually change the behaviours that yeah. are, you know, contributing to that. And I think I've seen trends as well where people go, okay, cool, I want to go down the natural route. I don't want to take metformin, Dr. Google, da, 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 and then, you know, the supplement that is going to come up time and time again is inositol. So they might start taking something like that. They actually haven't changed anything about what they're doing from a, you know, a diet and lifestyle perspective. And again, like inositol can work really well for some people, but it's only going to get you so far if you actually don't make those changes. And so I think, the again like coming back to those foundations that should be like first line treatment and then those other things coming in as little helpers (laughs) yes um yes or no question which you're welcome to elaborate (laughs) on but um are all cases of pcos fixable that's a good question i guess it depends what you sort of determine as like fixable I think all PCOS cases can definitely be improved and I think that would be to varying degrees depending on a whole host of different factors including um you know the severity how long it's been going on for as well as that person's also like readiness to change and ability to take on those changes because we have you know we can have five people with nearly the same um, symptom picture, hormone levels, that kind of thing. You can recommend them the exact same changes and not everyone is going to take those changes and run with them. Um, So that um, is just down to, you know, individual readiness to change and ability to implement those changes. I had a client recently that I started working with in maybe October October, November, and each appointment, like she's just been amazing. Everything I've given her, she's just like, cool, yep, comes back, done it. I'm feeling so much better. My hair stopped falling out. This, every time I talk to her, she's had, you know, all these different improvements, but it's also just down to her being like, cool, yep, what's next? I'm ready, let's go. Whereas, you know, for a variety of different reasons, I can totally appreciate we all have different life's you know challenges stresses and all of that that can certainly make change easier or harder for us you know we've all got different commitments but we also then of course have clients that you know what we can achieve maybe in one appointment might take them five sometimes to um implement and consistently like consistency is so so important with those kinds of things because going back to you know when we were talking about well what actually is PCOS and what causes it genetic and environmental factors so when we're talking about environmental factors that is really 
like the container in which you live in. So what you eat, your stress levels, um, what's going on in your head, how you move, if you move, all of those things. And so if you revert back to old patterns of behavior, your symptoms are not going to get better and may get worse, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I do think everyone can improve and I think it's really a sliding scale dependent on so many different factors. What are your thoughts around that? I think you highlighted really perfectly that in actual fact there's a lot that can change when it comes to like the presentation of PCOS. A lot of it comes down to lifestyle choices um, so, yeah. you know, it is a condition of, yes, absolutely, there's got to be a genetic predisposition, but it's a condition of lifestyle choices and therefore, you know, the ball is in the individual's court as mm. to how long they're willing to apply themselves for, how much they're willing to apply themselves, um, what resources they want to use or can use, but it should hopefully yeah. also be really empowering for people to know that, well, a lot of this is within my control, mm. so I'm not looking as to whether a, you know, a medical prescription does or doesn't do the job, but I'm looking at all of the things that I can be doing to help improve uh, yeah. my hormonal imbalances, which is ultimately what it comes yeah. down to. Um, I think that having in like practitioners that you can work with is a huge step, you know, practitioners that can look at holistic and lifestyle yeah. to support. Um, but I also see that you have a program. Um, is it a group program um, around PCOS or do people it, like go through the journey on their own using the resources that you've made it available? It is, um, but there's also a one-on-one component. So I do have a program, it's called the PCOS Pathway and it's about six months. Um, so there's an online learning component, which is really like the the things that apply to all women with PCOS. And then there's individual components um, at key checkpoints, like say reviewing your blood tests. I don't expect people to be able to watch an online video and make all those connections that we make in our heads reviewing blood tests, mm. um, you know, one person might be able to interpret their iron as being low, but for us, we're going, why do they have heavy periods? Is it celiac disease that's been missed? Do they have problems with, um, you know, are they taking their zinc and iron together? All these different things that we factor in in our head. So I would, I don't think you can, you know, outsource that to someone in an hour long video. Um, So there are key areas of the program that are like personalized and individualized. Um, And then there's also a community aspect as well, which last year when I ran it, um, everyone said they really loved because I think it can be quite isolating to feel like you're the only person going through this. And something that I hear often from my PCOS clients is like, I just don't get why, you know, my best friend can eat whatever she wants and she doesn't have the same body shape as me. I feel like I have to watch everything I eat and I'm always factoring it into my decision-making. And so I think having a community around you of people that are having that like experience um, is really helpful as well because it's definitely not just you on your own going through it. No, I think that's a, a wonderful element because there's so much behaviour change involved, having that 
you know, little yeah. posse of people also experiencing similar changes um, would be really helpful for people. I will yeah. link to the show notes in that. So for anybody who's listening and wants to explore what it looks like, you can access it. Um, I'd love to hear how people can learn more about you, though, or at least hear mm-hmm. more from you. Yeah, sure. I am most active on Instagram, which, you know, I need to be more active on at the moment. I have a nearly five-month-old and that has definitely been a challenge in returning to work, being active on Instagram, but I am doing my best to be more committed to it. So, yeah, come over. You'll see that there's lots of content around PCOS over there and I'm always happy to have a chat. My website is selendouglas.com and I do have a quiz as well that um, you can go through you'll see it on the website and that will actually give you a bit of information around what is more likely to be, you know, your causes of PCOS. Um, And then you'll also see that there's a download attached to that as well, which goes through um, all of those tests that we talked about in this episode as well. And then you've got the reference ranges and a bit of summary of what those tests actually mean. Amazing. That sounds like an incredible resource. Thank you, Selene. It's been awesome to have you on the show and um, I hope to have you back again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.